This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. So Matthew 18, the Matthew 18 solution. There's a poem that says, To live above with saints we love will certainly be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, Matthew 18 kind of deals with that. It, it shows that, that there are difficulties in human relationship. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to navigate, uh, navigate human relationships. And, you know, the question would be, um, why do God's children have such a difficult time getting along with each other? And um, it's all to do with death, actually. It's that we, we haven't actually fully died to ourselves. That's, that's the problem, you know. Um, I, I've been quoted before as saying that people are not really a problem. It's only the living ones that cause you trouble. And that's generally true, you know. Um, and so when we live to ourselves, we are going to create problems amongst relationships and when those problems arise the difficulty will be that because we're living to ourselves we, we have our agenda first and foremost in our minds and hearts it becomes difficult to back down it becomes difficult to show humility it becomes difficult to be teachable uh, in that circumstance it becomes uh, you know it becomes difficult to get past those kinds of issues and so with so many divisions and dissensions that occur amongst professing Christians these days, Matthew 18 becomes a fantastic passage for us and has much to to teach us uh, regarding this matter of us living together with each other, fellowshipping together and being in communion with one another. And so we want to work our way down through Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1, just just quickly. We're not going to get through the whole chapter. But there are some aspects of the opening of the chapter which bring us into the classic uh, section of Matthew 18 that is essentially um, a go-to for um, dispute resolution amongst brethren. Matthew 18, let's just ask the Lord to bless his word to our hearts this morning. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your son was sent for us and that his walk with the disciples has been recorded for us in the Gospels, that we can read that and we can see the loving interaction that he had with those men the discipline he brought them, the rebuke he brought them, the encouragement he brought them, the love that he demonstrated to them and among them and to others as well. And we thank you for this and we ask you, Lord, that in these lessons that are recorded in Matthew 18 that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive but, Lord, also determined to put into place so that as we walk from this place this morning we are changed within by the power of your word, the power of your spirit working within us, Lord, for truly your words are spirit and life. So we ask you, Lord, bless your word to our hearts, help our hearts to be open to receive from you. 
In the mighty name of your Son, by whom you've granted us access to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew 18, verse 1. Now, this never happens in today's church. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to... Now, another uh, gospel says that they were disputing among themselves. And I think just earlier in Matthew, it says that they they were arguing amongst themselves as to who was the greatest. And so it's come to this point of, okay, let's settle this. Let's go and ask Jesus who's the greatest out of us. And so he calls to them, uh, to him, a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this is an open rebuke to these men. He's openly rebuking them. And some uh, accurately have defined humility as that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. Humility is a a difficult subject. Um, I have encountered someone who truly did say to me that they were humble, a humble person. And, uh, um, you know, I I wanted to add, and and proud of it, you know. (laughs) So the essence of humility is that if we see that we are sensing that maybe God is growing us in humility, that we need to be aware of our pride of rejoicing in that humility. Because true humility is not about seeking seeking to think meanly of yourself. One man said it's about simply not thinking of oneself at all. True humility seeks to decrease self and elevate others. That's what it seeks to do. But our world is geared to the opposite of that. Our world is geared that we would sense self-empowerment in the putting down of others. It's entirely the opposite to what Scripture admonishes us to. Who is going to be the greatest? This child is the greatest among you. And unless you become like this child, the, the term that, that Jesus is saying there, he's, he's putting this qualification to the situation, unless you turn and become like children. And so he's giving a qualification to, to the requirement for these disciples to have an attribute like this child. That is not the same as saying that children are perfect. I I know that um, parents often think their own children are perfect. Realists really know that their own children are not perfect. And once your children have aged a few years, you definitely have experienced their imperfections, as they have yours also. And so he's not talking about the perfection of a child, but what he's talking about is this, this hunger this dependence, this sincerity that a child has, where they recognise that someone over them has answers for them, has supplies for them. They ask questions. Dad, why? Mum, why? They've got this hunger for learning that's involved. They they realise that they're not the authority. Can I do this? Can I do that? 
all these kinds of things. There is something about the status of a child that has dependence and it has humility. And this is a real issue today. The, the question of the disciples is not one lost on our generation today. Which one of us is the greatest? This topic was a real problem for them. Jesus had been sharing with the disciples at this stage about his, uh, his impending suffering, his death, that he must depart, that he is going to have to suffer. Yeah, 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 Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Something in their priorities is out of order in this because their, their focus is on self. A little bit like our generation, isn't it? You know, the focus on self. We even call it a selfie, you know. So it's an Australian word that's made it into the dictionary, a selfie. This topic was a be proud, Australians, of our achievements. No, no, be humble of our achievements. This topic was a real problem for the disciples because it was bringing them into a, a contradiction with how life is supposed to be lived for those who have faith in God. So instead they're thinking about themselves and their position in his kingdom. Warren Wiersbe says, The selfishness and disunity of God's people is a scandal to the Christian faith. What causes these problems? Pride, thinking ourselves more important than we really are. Now that's obviously... Not the case with every scandal. We've got it in the context here of talking about pride and humility. But his words are so true. The selfishness and disunity of God's people is a scandal to the Christian faith. The Christian gospel calls you and I to a life of selflessness a life of taking up the cross to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this means... This actually perfectly harmonizes with the idea of humility because humility is about this essence of what Jesus prayed in the garden the night of his betrayal, not my will, but thine be done. That is the ultimate example of true humility. Not my will, but thy will be done. So here are the disciples. Think about this example of humility. You know, they're, they're waiting breathlessly on the answer. Tell us, t- tell us, Jesus, who's the greatest among us? Who is it, Lord? It's going to be me. <coughs> and I love how Matthew records this. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, my fair income, guys. I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Now, let's talk about who's going to be the greatest. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You're worrying about preeminence? Humility is the way into heaven. Wow. This child is put into the center of this group and he is thrust upon them as being the example of true greatness. Who's the greatest among us? True humility is found in one way. And and here is the challenge. It's, It's asking yourself daily, 
You know, maybe this needs to be written on your refrigerator. We all go there often during the day, you know, and so it can be there to remind us. How can I truly live my life to the glory of God? How can I live my life to the glory of God? Because in that, in answering that question, humility will be a natural consequence. It's cause and effect. If we live to the glory of God, humility is going to, going to be found in the living of our lives because we will be more and more transformed into the image of Christ Jesus, the truly most humble man who walked the face of the earth. Well, this means avoiding two extremes. And it's, a, it's kind of oxymoronic, but it's thinking less of yourself than you ought to because there is a, a kind of false statement in that. And ex- also avoiding thinking more of yourself than you ought to, as Romans 12 declares. But the thinking less of ourselves than we should is to put ourselves in a wrong status. It's a place in which we can, we can say things like, I'm unlovable by God. Which, that's, a, that's a wrong statement. Because the scripture says that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say we were unlovable. It says we didn't deserve his love, but he gave it anyway. And this is a great thing because what that does, it magnifies the love of God without elevating ourselves. But yet it doesn't demonstrate false humility. A truly humble person does not deny the gifts God has given him, but uses them to the glory of God. There is a, a strong tendency, and you know, you've seen it every now and then, somebody... You know they can, they can maybe play the piano really well, or or, or some such thing, and and so you say, oh, could you play a? Oh no, no, no I, I, I couldn't. No, no, I, I don't like to do that. Oh please, go on, go on. He's really good. Oh no, 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 no. You know, oh okay, if you insist, and you know, then they come out with Beethoven's Fifth or something, and you know. And stuff, and just you know, like like it's nothing. It's all from this memory. It's false humility, that is, because they're they're seeking for people to lift them up, so that in that moment they can maximise the applaud of the applause of everybody. That's false humility, and it doesn't just happen in musical circles. It can happen in all kinds of ways. But the question to ask ourselves is. How can I live my life to the glory of God? And so in that way then, if God has blessed us with gifts, if they are musical or some other area, use them to the glory of God. Let God get the glory out of that. Let him receive the praise and the glory for that. An unspoiled child has a lot of, and and put the emphasis on un in that sentence, an unspoiled child has a lot of characteristics, or often has characteristics, that make for humility. Trust, dependence, desire to make others happy. You can see that in children that haven't been spoiled. Nothing pleases them more than to see that their parents are happy with them. You know, 
in, in something that they've achieved or done. Or, look, mum, I've learned my ABCs. And, you know, and, and to see that the mother is happy with their progress, it's, it's not about boasting. It's that they've made someone happy in doing that. An absence of boasting or selfish desire to be greater than others. Most of us struggle with a, a, in our generation today, we, we've even termed it today, we've given it a, a term, is that somebody has had their 15 seconds of fame. This whole internet world that whereby someone does something and, and they immediately have uploaded it to the web and it's gone insane and this is their crowning achievement of life. It's this 15 seconds of fame that they've received and, and forevermore, you know, that Corey guy out here with that house party that he did years ago, that's his, that's his, that's what he's known for. I can't remember his last name, so I don't know him too well, but that's what he's known for, you know, is that. That's been his fame. It's given him entrance into uh, places in life because of that. So because of this emphasis on self and that, Everybody has got rights and, and uh, everybody should be recognised and all these kinds of things and the, the you empowerment generation that we're in that, you know, and, and women's empowerment and all this kind of stuff that goes on today. Everybody has got this expectation of somehow, you know, and, and, and more and more their own person seems to be identified more and more at the centre of their own universe and this becomes more and more important for themselves to be recognised. But it's not a new thing. Jesus, tell us, who among us is the greatest in the kingdom? it's, It's a pretty audacious question, isn't it, you know? And it's lacking one characteristic that's really important. It's lacking humility. Who among us is the greatest? I mean, seriously. That's that's an unusual question. And then Jesus' answer is, if you're not humble, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it is emphasized, he says, you can never enter. Never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, It's kind of reinforced over and over and over. You can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this would be recorded in Scripture as a testimony that will go down through time so that to each generation these words can be iterated and reiterated over and over, again and again. And the lesson is not about working our way into heaven. The lesson is about humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. They had to be converted in their thinking. They had to be turned around. It seems that Jesus in these verses is is blending two concepts and and challenging the disciples, and that is that the human child is, is this example of humility and a recognition of dependence and a recognition of our status in life. And the child of God, no matter what age he is, is to emulate those same things, a a humility and a a dependence on God the Father. And we have to battle with this, beloved, because we're in such an 
independent generation. Be the boss of your own life. You know, you're not the boss of me. As Christians, we must not only accept the rebuke that Jesus gives to every generation out of this about the warnings of the human heart and the corruption of the human heart to elevating ourselves, but also take the lesson from this and and immediately learn from it that you and I are to put ourselves voluntarily into the correct status of life, that we are wholly dependent upon God the Father. And we're to humble ourselves. And in humbling ourselves, we should look out for opportunities to serve one another. We should receive God's children, seek to minister to them. Jesus speaks of the cost of humility. Go on to verse 7. It says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. This is this is why on on recent issues and you know we had the the whole out of control same sex marriage debate in Australia like it was insanely out of control and for fear of being marginalised which means if if you and I as Christians don't understand that we are already marginalised within the community you know then we are not understanding something. And, and, and this is important, but for fear of being marginalised, many Christians adopted the claims of the same-sex marriage movement and would promote them through their churches with that great mantra that was repeated all the time because love is love, you know. And so people got caught into that as that that is the the debate that somehow is going on. And because Christians did not stand at all in just putting their flag in the ground and saying, beyond this point, no further, they have allowed people to walk on in lives of sin. And this is what the real issue is about in this, is that if you and I do not make stands over issues like this, and we don't have to get vitriolic and calling people by rude names and all this kind of stuff, and that's wrong for us to do. But we can say, according to the scripture, this is sinful behavior, and we urge you to repent. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. If the church says love is love, we allow temptation to come into the lives of people who are already conflicted. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. He is, you know, this issue here is that, that we're speaking about is humility. And Christ is a, a, a stone of stumbling to those who are going to be presented with him uh, in the gospel and want to hold on to their sin. But for those among us who humble ourselves, that stone of stumbling becomes a stepping stone into the kingdom of God. And this begins with self-examination. 
And it continues with self-denial, that when you and I have self-examined and we realize our sin and we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we have uh, repented and turned from sin, that the path goes on from there that we are living a life of self-denial, preferring others before ourselves. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that we maim our bodies, but he does use those illustrations. But the point being that, and, and we have to think about this logically, because when Jesus came, his, his dealings with mankind and on into the New Testament letters was to deal with the heart, right? He's dealing with the heart. And so if we were, to able to make, if we were able to make external changes to enter the kingdom of heaven, then that would be in contradiction with the gospel message. So he's not saying, you know, cut your finger off because that's causing you to click the wrong button on your mouse and go to wrong places. He's not saying that. He's not saying, you know, smash your monitor. Not saying that. He's saying, listen, maybe remove the stumbling. Get rid of your internet. Get rid of your data plan. And and take away the stumbling block. Get that out of your life. If that's what's necessary. So he's instructing them. Even that though is still an external thing. Because what Jesus is really dealing with in the Gospels and in his dealings with his, his disciples is about the heart of matters. He's getting down to the real surgery. The real surgery you and I need is an internal surgery, a circumcision of the heart that must take place. We're to remove things that cause us to stumble and cause others to stumble. So if we had some statement in our church, a booklet that said that we accept, you know, same-sex marriage and here's our theological reasons and so here's our little love is love guide booklet. We would be causing or potentially causing others to stumble in that. So we're to remove those stumbling blocks. The humble person lives for Jesus first and then others next and himself last, him or herself. This includes ladies. Now let's move on to something vital here within the church, not to say that that whole issue of humility isn't vital, but it's a precursor into this passage that I really want to speak on in brief, and we're going to come back to it. Matthew eighteen fifteen to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him, his fault between you and him alone. Now, that statement there is a full negation of gossip, right? Right there. Fully takes gossip out of the picture. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the principle that Paul will later talk about in Corinthians, that love covers a multitude of sins. The point of doing this is that it needs to go no further because it says if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, remember, he's just going on from talking about humility. Who's the greatest among us? Live and walk in such a way as to serve others. 
is, is what he's saying. And here's a specific situation. If your brother sins against you, you go and talk to him alone. This is between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Who's the greatest among us? Jesus. This is what it's in the context of. Because right now, such and such has sinned against me and I feel that I should expose him to everybody. That's, that's the kind of thing he's, he's cutting off from among them. Because that is often only the outward flow of our corrupt hearts so that we can show ourselves as being superior to somebody else. That's all that is. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, it's a basic process. If if there's no reconciliation in that matter, now take a person or two along so that when you talk about this issue, it can all be confirmed. I said this, he said that. And then the, the witnesses can say, yes, that's what was said. No, that wasn't what was said. They can confirm everything. So now it becomes beyond dispute. You, you and I know through experience that life doesn't settle issues so easily many times. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Darn tax collectors. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is one of the most misused word of faith texts ever, because put it in the context of this, he, this is talking about a situation of discipline, the rebuke of a brother who's unrepentant, and he's talking about that once you establish this, that you establish this as a principle that is firstly established in heaven. This is how heaven functions. And so you establish things with order. And they're not things that are undisclosed, that you can't just uh, uh, rebuke someone for some undisclosed matter. There has to be a process involved so that people are legitimately having their, their matters dealt with properly within the church. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. We don't always practice humility. You see, if I offended you and you came to me, the reason the offence may continue to exist could be for two reasons. One, you make a false claim. Or secondly, I simply resist the rebuke you bring to me. And, and there's no reconciliation. I don't hear your complaint. But you know, in, in ministry, sometimes this, is, this can be difficult. But there are times when deliberately or unconsciously we can offend others and hurt them. I remember many years ago pastoring um, here in Australia um, uh, almost feels like another lifetime these days, but I, I talked about our... was talking about our lives in Macau and, and I mentioned a situation. I was talking about a situation um, where when we got there, you know, like the cultural shock, living here in Australia and going over and living among the Chinese and, and there were things that, 
that are a shock. You know, they can be a shock. And I didn't mean this as any put down of the Chinese people. Suzanne and I, we love Chinese people, you know, um, and, and we love the culture. But, but sometimes in Macau, you'd see a little old lady walking along the street and next thing she would spit on the ground, you know, and, and stuff. And to us, that was like, oof, you know, at first. Later, we came to understand that there is a... A, a kind of social conditioning behind this that if you are not well and and stuff you wouldn't you wouldn't swallow that saliva back down you know you'd spit it out because it's got disease and bacteria in it and if you spat it into a tissue which often happens you wouldn't put that in your pocket <laughs> that would be the most disgusting thing to do put you know blow your nose in a tissue and put it in your or a handkerchief and put it in your pocket you throw it away. You put it in the bin, you know, or throw it away. And so, you know, this, I didn't say it quite like that. I just said, you know, we were shocked to see an old lady spit on the ground, you know, like she was, you know. And so, you know, this fellow, he became very upset with me and he, he confronted me afterwards. And, and I had to realise, because he was Chinese, you know, I had to realise that he felt like I was offending his whole culture in saying this. And so this is a legitimate thing. And so it actually led to a great strengthening of our relationship in the end, you know, and, and we became closer uh, than we were before as a result. But what I didn't do was say, huh, you're wrong. You misunderstood. What I did say, and it was very simple to say, was, man, I'm really sorry that I gave you that impression. Because that's true. I gave him that impression. Maybe he was hypersensitive. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe growing up in, in Australia and being picked on as, by people as being a ching-chong back in the day, as, they, as we Aussies called them 30 years ago. You know, it's rude and offensive. Maybe that had made him sensitive about these things. I don't know. How can I be the judge of those things? I'm not responsible for that. What I'm responsible for is what I said that caused the offence. And so when he came to me, it's either defend myself, no, you're wrong, and now we have a problem that's going to get bigger. Or to say, you know what, I see what you're saying. I was stupid to say that that way. You're right. Actually, the funny thing was he immediately started saying, no, 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 I'm not saying you're wrong. And I, I'm saying to you, but you're right. I did say it Wrongly, you know, I've offended you with this. No, no, I'm not saying I'm offended. I said, you are, bro. Just accept it. You, you are offended by it. And I'm wrong. It's okay to be wrong. You know, let's get this right. And we became stronger friends out of that. Even the Old Testament law recognises sins of ignorance. David prayed, deliver me from secret faults, Lord. Sometimes we just don't understand the things we do because they're so deep in us. These kinds of things, you know, they're called blind spots for a reason. What should we do when another Christian has sinned against us? Well, go to them. <coughs> go to them. Keep the matter private. So in, in essence, the Lord says, first of all, keep the matter private. Approach that person. Speak to them alone. It's possible they don't even realize what they've done, like in that situation there. It, it, it was, and it was a real offense to him. A genuine offence, and it was easy, easily resolved. 
And so this comes back to the humility issue because if we don't remove pride from that instantly, and the question that I, that I would urge you to ask yourself, and it's one that I've always had to ask myself when people confront me with stuff, is, is there any truth in what they're saying in this situation? Is there any degree of truth in it? Because if there is, then there's room for me to see how, I can, how I've offended them immediately. And it allows me to take that on as, as an opportunity to learn something in that situation. Our problem is that we, instead of wanting to win our brother or win our sister, we usually want to win the argument. And that becomes an issue. Because if you're... Yes, it is. <laughs> because if you're just wanting to win the argument you're not going to be able to see the hurt involved. You're only going to be trying to defend your situation, your, your um, stance in it. And so it's possible to win an argument and lose your brother. And you've won, you've won something of far less significance in doing that. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, If anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is not the idea of the church eldership coming around and saying, Mark, we've got to talk with you, man. You're out of order. That's not a spirit of gentleness, you know. The, the idea of this spirit of gentleness is that you and I would humble ourselves first of all, evaluate ourselves first of all, to see where we may be wrong. And so it's not about winning an argument. It's about keeping the matter private. It's about winning a brother rather than an argument. It's about trying to restore a brother. You know, the interesting thing in Galatians 6 verse 1, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him. Do you know the interesting thing is the Greek word, and and I can't pronounce it to you, but it's a medical word from which the idea of to set a broken bone comes from. Now, I'm not aware that I've ever broken a bone. Um, I may have broken a couple of thumbs. I only have two, but I may have broken them at different times. So, uh, but that's a different story. But I know that people who've, who have broken bones have said that as soon as the bone was aligned, the relief came straight away. As soon as that bone was put back into position so that the cast could be put on, that the relief was instant. You know, and so um, you know the to set the broken bone. My my brother jumped off a woodpile, but just as he threw his weight forward, his leg went down inside the woodpile. All his weight went forward, and he shattered his shin into about um, about eight pieces. Uh, it just exploded, and and so he, um, his mum said he was screaming in the uh, in the medical suite as they're trying to put his leg back into into order. Think of the. Patient, the, the issue behind this, though, is not so much about the pain relief. It's about the patience and the wisdom needed to do it, to do it properly. So we're coming at this to examine the situation and approach the situation wisely so that there can be real healing in that. A real fracture can be remedied. And so this goes on then to asking for help from others. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And this would go back to Galatians 6 then uh, about the brothers being wise in that situation in a spirit of gentleness. You know, my experience in our uh, in, in a previous fellowship was that that's not how things were handled. That when somebody aired that there was a heavy-handed approach from the top down against those people, no ability to be able to talk about situations and unlock the truth behind them and bring reconciliation and relationship in them, and that is a wrong approach. A spirit of gentleness, restoring people. You know That spirit of gentleness, you know, uh, I had a, a man put my ankle back into place. It was the most loving thing he could do because my foot was facing that way, right, out behind there. And the most loving thing he could do was to say, count to three and move with me. We're going to put your foot back in place. One, two, you know, put, put it back into place. And all, all the pain went away, you know. And it was nice to see my toes in front of me and not my heel, you know. So... But the issue is that sometimes tough things do have to be done, but we should do them in the spirit of Christ. That's, that's what you and I are trying to emulate. And when sin is not dealt with, and, and you know, within Matthew 18, Jesus is dealing with an issue here that can affect people, that when it's not dealt with, it has the potential to spread, and when it's dealt with wrongly, it has the potential to spread in the wrong way as well. Well, we're going we're gonna to stop there. And we'll come back to this uh, Matthew chapter 18 next week. But, you know, I'd love you to take some time to read through because the issue is not... We have to be careful of this because the issue of genuine love is not the same as some soppy sentiment, right? Genuine love is not when someone tells you a bleeding heart story and you go, oh, that's so terrible. Hey, honey, what time will dinner be ready? You know, that's not... That's not genuine concern over a person's situation, you know. We should be putting those things aside to genuinely hear people's troubles and and move along with them. So the issue is not just soppy sentiment, and that's not the answer to harshness. The issue is that humility and genuine love will guide us in the process of reconciliation amongst members when you and I need to have that happen. And so, um, and, that, and that is the context to Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I amongst them. It's on this issue of resolving matters and, and, and in the event that it has to, of, of bringing discipline and rebuke to somebody, that all of this is to be done in a spirit of humility, meekness, gentleness, that glorifies Christ. Amen? And that's how we're to resolve matters amongst amongst brethren. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <coughs> Love you to take your time to read through Matthew 18 and, uh, and give that to some prayerful meditation for your life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Thanks for being with us. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you more importantly. 
that we can gather here in such a manner as to worship you, glorify you, to fellowship among brethren with believers so that your name would be magnified and glorified. And we ask you, Father, that as we give ourselves to the reading and the study of your word, that you would help us to grow deeper and deeper in love with you, that your spirit would guide our steps. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.